This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories. The People Here Are So Hearty and Cheerful by Kathy Fish and The Last Thing I Need by Megan Kenny. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. While there, check out our news blog. You can also find links to us on Facebook and MySpace. Also on our website is the Bound Off Bookstore, in affiliation with Amazon. There you can purchase Stirring the Mirror by Christine Boyka-Klugi and Fires by Nick Antosca. The People Here Are So Hardy and Cheerful, written by Kathy Fish, read by Dave Robinson. Listening time, 3 minutes, 29 seconds. The People Here Are So Hardy and Cheerful by Kathy Fish Tom Bridge walks through the airport in Denver following the signs to the payphones. He's been awake for 22 hours. The airport is encased in a blizzard and feels like a hallucination. He drops into one of the booths and pushes coins through the slot, but they slip right through the coin return. He can't get a dial tone. Finally, a call goes through. Finally, she's there to answer, but she can't hear him, and there are a series of beeps and whistles like a distant parade over the line. Sandy? Hello? Tom? Through the static, there's another conversation in the background. Sugar, where are you? I'll come and get you. I'm at the bus station. I'm a twig. Twig. Wig. An old man in white sneakers stands too close. Tom waves the man away, but he doesn't budge. Sandy, can you hear me? I got a plane to catch. I'm coming home. Your lady, the man says, holding a box of lemon heads. Across the way, at one of the gates, a young woman puts an oversized blouse on over her t-shirt. She pulls her newborn close and feeds it. She has a large mole on her lip. She's with her mother, who reads to her, translating the article into Spanish. The girl stares and doesn't react when the mother laughs at something in the article. Sandy, I'm tired of the mountains. The people here. There's an old man standing right here, smiling at me. He won't go away. Tom puts his hand over the mouthpiece and turns to the man. There is no virtue in eavesdropping. Tom? Tom? The young woman is wearing a short skirt. It looks at first like she's got a tattoo of a flower on her kneecap, but it is a burst of purple veins. The young woman's mother puts her hands out, and the young woman gives her the newborn, who has an impossible amount of black hair spiking up like stalagmites. Tom looks at her mole, her spread of veins in her kneecap, her unsmiling mouth. An announcement is made from the Delta Airlines gate, all flights canceled. Tom hears grumbling and shouts from the people in the waiting area. The young woman with the infant starts to cry. Her mother rubs her arm. Sandy, are you there? Everybody just wants to get out of here. I'm tired of Lipton soup and girls with bigger biceps than me, and Sandy, I am really, really tired of this coat. Remember you used to like my eyes? My eyes are ugly now, Sandy. That doesn't matter, though, right? The old man shakes some lemon heads into his palm and offers Tom some. Please, go away. I've tried to be patient. Tom turns his back to the man. The thing is, Sandy, I know I've been inappropriate sometimes, but let's face it, you made some mistakes too. Who's perfect here? Nobody. Tom? Sandy's voice sounds like it's coming from a time tunnel with snow and a spinning hourglass. The other voice comes in. The machine fails to percolate. I should have gotten an automatic drip. Tom looks out at the billowing clouds, the wall of white. His airplane sits like an invalid at the gate. He hunches over, not wanting to shout. 
the Sandy's still saying his name. I left a dime on the floor, the old man in the impeccable white sneaker says. Have you ever seen a little kid's face when he finds a dime? It's worth a dime. On the phone line, more whistles and beeps. The voice in the background says, fuck, and the connection is lost. He grips the handset tighter. I hate it here, Sandy, he says, and hangs up. It's true, he tells the old man, who nods and smiles, smiles and nods. Tom holds both hands out for candy. He says thank you. A collection of Kathy Fish's very short stories is available from Rose Metal Press in A Peculiar Feeling of Restlessness, four chapbooks of short, short fiction by four women. The Last Thing I Need, written and read by Megan Kenny. Listening time, nine minutes, six seconds. The Last Thing I Need, by Megan Kenny. I hear the noise, so I go outside, and there's a mime breaking into my car. I say, who do you think you are? And he just raises his shoulders and smiles. His face is painted up white with a red mouth like a stain, and I say, oh no, I think you're stuck inside an invisible box and can't get out. He pretends he's in a box for a minute, moving his hands around like there's something there, then reaches out and puts his other hand over his mouth like he's found a surprise. I hate mimes. He pretends to open a door and step out of the box and goes back to banging on my car door with some metal thing I can't make out. I tell him he better get his sick mime ass out of here, or I'll call the cops, real cops. I bend down and pick up a rock, and he says, you better cool it, lady, and put the rock down. My sister's coming to visit in an hour, and I have to go out and buy food and drinks for the weekend. It's been a year since I've seen her, and she's bringing her new boyfriend. This mime is the last thing I need. My sister and I never got along well, and this is a chance to start over. We agreed it was a good idea she'd bring her boyfriend so I could know something about her life. I'm glad he's coming because maybe she'll talk more. She never liked to tell me much. I feel like crying and I tell the mime he's not supposed to talk. He says, watch it, lady, and no one will get hurt. I say, maybe if you talked more, you wouldn't be so bad. You wouldn't have to go into fits of rage and steal people's cars. He says, that's not it at all, lady, and you better quit prying or I'll get angry. Look who's prying, I say. You're prying right into my car, you clown, and you're nicking it all up. Quit nicking it up. He says, well, then why don't you give me the keys and we'll be all set. I say, look, I don't have the time for this. My sister's showing up in an hour, and I have to get to the store. He tells me, still cracking at my car, that he has to get to the store, too. I tell him I'm in a hurry and ask if he can do this another day, maybe next week. He says, next week isn't good for me. I have to find a watch with a built-in compass at Foot Locker or Track and Trail. They go for 65 bucks, and I promised my nephew one for his birthday. I say, how are you going to buy a watch when you have to steal a car? He says, the watch is the easy part. The last time I saw my sister, we were on a family vacation on Cape Cod. We were at the beach when she said to me, you've got to get out more. Just get out of the house if you're going to meet anyone. That's the first step. Then she put on my sunglasses and said they looked better on her and that I needed to relax. I say, look, Mr. Mime, I think you should leave. This is bad timing. I'm not feeling well. I'm on edge. I have a lot on my mind. 
I've been trying to get my sister to visit for a year, and now that she's finally coming, I feel a little uptight. We have a rocky relationship, and I don't know what to expect, and I can't take this right now. The mime turns and looks at me. He inhales and exhales, moving his hands up and down, breathing like he's in a yoga class. I say, Jesus, now what are you doing? He says, you've got to relax. Why don't you try breathing? I say, I don't think so, and don't tell me to relax. Lady, he says, you've got to simmer down. Maybe you have it all wrong. I say, I don't have anything wrong, except for you being in my way, so get out of my way. I say, I'm running out of time, and I don't want to be standing here with you when my sister and her boyfriend pull up. How do you think that would look? Pretty strange, he says. I say, yeah, pretty strange. Someone will walk by soon and call the cops anyway. Lady, he says, no one calls the cops on a mime with a smile. I say, okay, Smiley, then why don't you just beat it and let me into my car? He says, no one's holding you back. I'll hold the door open for you and shut it if you just get yourself over here and key the thing open. Screw that, I say, screw that. If you think I'm coming near you, you've got problems. You've got some thinking to do. He says, it sounds like you've got some thinking to do with your sister. I hope you don't talk to her like you talk to me. I say, who are you to be telling me about my sister? You're really amazing. Who do you think you are? I stand there looking at this mime prying away at my car. I don't want to call the cops and have them show up, too, and make a scene. I just want this guy to leave. I still have the rock, and I handle it with both hands. It's a big rock, granite, I think, but I don't know what else it could be. The only other rocks I remember are mica and crystal quartz from a field trip in the fourth grade. I just know it's hot out, too hot, and I'm sweating and fed up with this guy. I say, do you know what kind of rock this is? He says, how would I know? I tell him it's a big rock, probably granite, and that granite is one of the hardest rocks around. He says, look, lady, it's not my fault you and your sister don't get along and that you're in a funk because of it. I say, that's not even half of it. He says, really? I think you should try deep breaths. I'll do them with you. I say, are you nuts? He says, it'll calm you down. You're getting me all uptight now, too. That's no good. I say, look, I don't like my neighbor. Why don't you go give her car a crack? But he doesn't move and says, lady, you don't give up. Then the phone rings. I stand there and the mime looks at me. The phone's right inside the hallway on a table. I leave the door open to watch him and I answer it. It's my sister at a payphone and she needs directions from the gas station off the exit. I give her directions and ask her to pick up food and beer on the way. I don't tell her about the mime because I figure he'll run when I tell him they'll be here in 20 minutes. When I get off the phone, he's still looking at me. I go back outside and say, they're on their way. He says, why don't you get along? We just don't, I say. I sit on the porch and rub my temples. I have a headache and don't want to fight anymore. The mime puts his metal tool on the sidewalk and walks toward me. I tell him to stay where he is. He stops a foot in front of my car and pretends to sit in a chair and says, well, how is this weekend going to be any different? I don't know. We're sitting there and I wonder why he picked my car of all cars. There's no hedge or wall and he's wide open on the street. It's not a busy street, but cars go by and some even honk at the mime. He stays squatting and really looks like he's sitting on something. I say, don't your legs get tired? It's part of the job. Do you really have a nephew? He'll be eight next week. 
I wonder if my sister will look any different and if her boyfriend is someone she could marry. I worry about her thinking I'm strange for being 35 and living alone in the city. And because no one else is around, I ask the mime if he thinks it's strange I live alone in the city. He says, not really, but I can see how people might think you're avoiding something. Avoiding what? He takes off his floppy striped hat and itches his head. His hair is brown, short, and fine, and messy in a boyish way. He says, avoiding people. There's people all around. That makes no difference. And I know he's right. It doesn't make any difference. I say, would you do something for me? I don't know. Would you wipe off your face paint? What for, he says. I want to see your face. The point is for you not to see my face. Forget the point, I say. He stands and plays with his hat in his hands like he's thinking about it. I'm biting my nails, not sure what I'm really asking him to do. Then he starts rubbing his face with his hat. He says, I could use some water and a towel. I go inside and bring back a towel and a bowl of water. When the paint comes off, he's younger than I thought, maybe 29. There's something about him I like, and I feel my face turn red. He wears jeans and a black t-shirt and is quiet and seems almost shy now. I wonder if he could pass for my boyfriend. I say, one more thing. What? Stay for dinner. I feel like an idiot and a little crazy. I don't know why I'm inviting a thief over for dinner. Who knows what this guy could pull when he's in my house, but there's something about him I trust. Something about the way he took off his hat and played with it. Something about the way he took off his face paint and looked at me like he was standing there naked for the first time. I see the car coming toward the house. I say, that's them, Lisa and Jim. My name's Carrie. He's quiet. I can't tell if he's going to run or not. I can't tell if maybe now he's afraid of me and thinks I'm the crazy one. The car pulls up. He puts his hat and the towel and the bowl on the ground next to my car. He walks up to the porch, stands next to me, and puts his arm around my waist. He is still and almost smiling. And as my sister and her boyfriend are walking up, he says, We're glad you made it. Megan Kenny's stories have appeared in journals such as the Iowa Review, the Gettysburg Review, and Cimarron Review. She is the 2008-2009 Tickner Writing Fellow in Baltimore, Maryland. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.